You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even everything typically that surrounds the journey to AI or journey to cloud, but we'll go wherever the discussion takes us. Please take the time, if you would, to to rate us wherever you get your podcast. We would appreciate it. It means a lot to us. And then, as always, if you have feedback or you have guests that you'd like to propose, please send a quick note to almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Today, I have a, an overdue guest. Uh, we should have got Beth Smith here much sooner, but we got Beth Smith today, who is the uh, general manager of IBM Watson AI. Uh, Beth has a ton of experience in data and AI. She's held prior, prior positions in IBM's information management uh, as GM of information management, VP of WebSphere, VP of WebSphere business development. I promise you we're gonna learn a lot today. Welcome Beth, thank you, thank you for being here. Thanks Al, glad to be here. So, I, as I said, you have a ton of uh, experience in leadership and technology. We'll get to a little bit of everything. But would you take just a few minutes to introduce yourself and briefly talk to your career journey? Sure. <clears throat> so, um, I feel very fortunate to have had uh, 32 years of success at IBM, um, mostly all around different parts of the software business. So, as you mentioned in the bio, I've spent many years in WebSphere and our runtimes and integration, as well as many years in a variety of things around information management, databases, analytics, um, and then more recently, um, Watson. So I joined the Watson team in January of 2016, and it has been a, another fun and exciting ride like many of those other experiences had been before that. Wow, has it been since 2016? It has. Can you believe it? <laughs> I know. I cannot believe it. Wow. The time just flies when you're having fun, I guess. That's right. <laughs> so usually um, what I do is I try to talk a little bit more about technology than a specific product, but I've got, I think it's appropriate in this case to jump into some naming in a product, and namely Watson, and here's why. The first question I have is really a level set. Uh, as you know, I, I have Watson tools and runtimes where you build, run, deploy uh, machine learning models. And at, whether it's me or, or anyone else across the business for that matter, I think the, one of the number one questions we get is what is Watson? And like I was on the on a plane uh, the other day and, and the young lady sitting next to me said, hey, where do you work? I said, IBM. She goes, oh, Watson, right? And so she associated Watson with, I think, artificial intelligence, but that's where it ended. And then I had to explain the rest of it. My simple question to you, and I don't know if it's simple, I think it should be simple, right? Is what is the point, what is your point of view of Watson, what it is and what it is not? Okay, great, Al. So this is probably the most common question I get, to be frank. Um, and, and it starts with Watson is IBM's commercial brand for bringing to market our artificial intelligence capabilities. And under that brand, we are approaching three dimensions. One is, like you said, toolkits and frameworks. So this is to help uh, customers that are going to build their own AI and machine learning models, and they need to have a 
good, robust lifecycle platform for it. And that goes from our um, knowledge catalog to studio to the machine learning serving environment and open scale for monitoring and managing um, within the production deployment. So that's tools and, and runtimes and frameworks for doing it yourself. The second one is around a set of patterns where we have seen AI be successful and help bring uh, business value to clients. And we have been able to codify those patterns in software in a set of things we called AI applications. These are applications that AI has now opened up um, and made real. And then we've turned them into these software products in a way to not require data scientists and AI specialists, and yet customers still be able to get benefits from them. So two great examples of that are Watson Assistant and Watson Discovery. Watson Assistant is a customer engagement uh, platform. It is about anything from simple chatbots to more sophisticated virtual agents and helping you engage with your customers and employees. And Watson Discovery is for knowledge workers. So think of anything from us to attorneys and oncologists and engineers and everybody else who wants a way to find and surface more insights from all of that business data that's likely unstructured, likely in the form of documents, and they want to be able to surface that. And that's Watson Discovery. So two patterns that AI has really opened up, both of which happen to be uh, centered around natural language processing, natural language understanding, um, and understanding the intent of what somebody may mean, which may be different than what they literally said. So that's our set of applications. And then the third area is where there may be existing applications um, and AI can now enhance those and Watson can be a part of that. And so a good example of that is within the governance, risk and compliance space. We have a product that many customers rely on every day called Open Pages. And one of the things we've been able to do now is have open pages with Watson, such that Watson gives recommendations on how to classify and categorize the different incidents and things that are recorded and tracked through open pages. So back to, to summarize it, Watson is our commercial brand for taking AI to market, and we're focused on three ways of doing it, tools and runtime for people building it, AI applications for people that want to buy something and it matches that pattern that they're looking for. And then third one is embedding in business applications that have existed so that you can now get more value there. So basically, if I restate, I think I got it. So the first one is build. Hey, look, I'm a data scientist. I want to build machine learning models. Second one is buy. That means, look, I want a, a use case that's, um, you know, it doesn't need a data scientist. It's wrapped. It's, it's, it, it, you know, doesn't need any intervention, outside intervention. And the last one is in That's bed. right. Fantastic. So I'm going to come back to those set of patterns, but I want to, I want to take a step back and, and ask you a question just in terms of how we got here. And that is, um, you know, look, artificial intelligence has been around for a while. It's been around in the 60s. I think even in 1959, our own IBM, Arthur Samuel, created uh, you know, hash tables and, and had, had a checker, checkers game 
that, um, you know, that the computer could play checkers. And then, you know, we've done many things like Gary Kasparov, Deep Blue beat him in, in 1996, which is interesting, by the way. He's still troubled by that because <laughs> he said it was a glitch that got him sideways. <laughs> and then, you know, we did the, the Jeopardy, but it's been around for a long time. Why is like AI everywhere? Why is this the inflection point? What, what's, what's the, what in history or what, what has happened that, that make it top of mind in every industry right now? Well, <clears throat> I think we have to go back to um, things that have made it be um, accessible to more things. So there's been a number of advancements in computing power and GPUs and other things that have really opened up the opportunity to be able to run those big training and inferencing jobs that makes it, uh, you know, real and accessible for, for many people. It, it isn't something that now, you know, only a certain number would have an environment to be able to do that. A cloud computing, frankly, opened up a lot of that too, because it meant for people that didn't have access to those kind of um, environments to be able to, to train and run their models, they could leverage things like that in the cloud. So a number of things there have opened it up. The other thing I would tell you is data and just the massive amount of data that exists today and the fact that there's so much of it that I keep going back to this point that's unstructured. You know, it doesn't, it's not a fitting a schema. It's not in certain formats. It's not expecting to follow a certain pattern. And there's the opportunity now to unlock things from that. That gets into length text gets into image, gets into audio, et cetera. But these other technical advances are the ones that have really made it accessible to folks. You, alongside that, there's been a lot of, of studies done that said, okay, well, then what does that mean? And folks are recognizing that they can really get a competitive advantage in whatever their um industry is, whatever their line of business is, by leveraging AI. In fact, there are many studies that basically say 94% or so believe they will get competitive advantage. There's been market work done that says between now and 2030, economic growth will be an additional $17 trillion based on what AI can help open up for companies. So when you think about all that and the fact that now the technology is more or less, you know, reachable for people, then you you see why there's so much in, interest. Now, the other thing I would tell you is I I also think our our times are a time when people are curious, when people like to experiment, when you know, we're li- you know, there's a lot of innovation around what technology can do. And I think that's also added to how people recognize, wow, this is something I need to be a part of um, because I believe I can use it as a foundation for what I can do to innovate in my own company. So, you know, I've always thought that, um, you know, data, the sheer amount of data, uh, algorithms, unique algorithms, supervised, unsupervised that are out there. And then the plummeting price of compute and storage has contributed to this. But you make a great point on the cloud in terms of access to the environments. It, it makes it, uh, kind of democratizes AI, if you will. It gives everybody access to both the environment and the technology uh, that we've never 
never had before. And I'm with you on, even by 2021, some of the data that I'm seeing, Gartner says $2.9 trillion in business value generated by AI augmentation and, and 6.2, something like 6.2 billion hours, hours saved. So that brings me back to Watson. So can you give us a little history lesson here? You've explained it well. You've talked to why we're here in the industry. When did, I, I don't even know if I have this information in terms of you've been, you said you started in, in, in 2016 with Watson, but where did it start? Where did it, where's it, Watson's heritage and how did it get from the, the beginnings to where it is today? So I would say the, the heritage really started with that uh, Jeopardy game back in 2011, February of 2011. And that was, that was a huge point because of the fact that it really tackled this point of natural language processing. Um, and Jeopardy was a great way to test that, to validate that, and to show that to the public in something that people could relate to as a part of it. And of course, our research team did a fantastic job getting us to that point. And so after February, maybe even a little before February of 2011, but certainly after February of 2011, a number of folks between research and the business were focused in on what's the commercial opportunity here. And the the actual Watson uh business unit was formed in the beginning of 2014 and it was there to say okay how do we how do we work with clients on this how can clients get um, benefit um, what form does that benefit come in and therefore what's the commercial value of it and we we did a number of very impressive uh, projects with clients and frankly learned these two patterns that then I've now described in Watson Assistant and Watson Discovery. Um, at that time, we were focused more on what I would call a monolithic application. Um, and we didn't, you know, these were early days in a way for some of the cloud computing um, architecture points and adoption points for different APIs, et cetera. And so at that point, it was really these larger applications and clients bringing those in to whatever their environment would be. But we realized that because of what cloud was doing and because it was now becoming an API economy and that meant developers were going to want aspects of this and microservices were important, et cetera, we then took the learnings from those applications and we created a core set of APIs, cloud-based API services, and those were the microservices that brought to bear things like speech-to-text, text-to-speech, visual recognition, natural language understanding, natural language classification, et cetera, et cetera. And then as that continued, then it became obvious how these patterns were now forming and how customers, the position customers wanted to be in to adopt them. And so then it became a point of, yes, it's important to have API API access, of course, that's a lot of how developers will build things in today, but it's also, it needs some framework around it. It needs tools to help be able to bring um, subject matter expertise into it so that it isn't just about developers or isn't just about data scientists. And so if we fast forward from 
probably about the middle of 2016 or so to now, that's what we've done is to say, okay, it's now about these packaged patterns. And then what's that tool chain that we talked about that you and your team do such a good job of helping us with, which is, okay, yes, it's a tool chain. It's a new world. And in this world, it's about the data scientists and the developers and the subject matter experts and the, the operations and the business owners for the process. And all of them have a place to, to play in that life cycle from data and training all the way through running those models that they may have built in their company in production. So that led us to the life cycle and the tools that we have alongside the um, applications. What do you think about, um, you know, one of the comments that I get a lot when I'm out in the field is a client will be using our products and Watson products and they'll go, these are terrific. If, if only I had known sooner. Uh, in other words, you know, we're in the enterprise space a lot. And, you know, we're, unlike uh, like Alexa or Amazon shopping experience that, that is gets a lot of optics from a commercial perspective, they often don't don't see it until they go use it, etc. How are we combating that in IBM so uh, the the community in the industry can see our use of these enterprise solutions? Well, you know, um, one of the things that we've done, Al, is we we also know that for customers, their brand, um, their experience, their experience is a part of their brand. Their data is their asset. So we've, you know, many customers see it as a real advantage that we provide things that allow them to take full advantage of these strong AI capabilities, but they can do it under their own brand, their own experience, and they're not behind one of those others. So that's actually seen as a real value. Um, to our customers. But you make a great point of folks don't realize how much they're touching Watson. Uh, some that may be fantasy football uh, players will realize that Watson, you know, is a part of that. There are a number of games, uh, video games, where Watson is a part of helping with the communication and the, the speech, et cetera, that's a part of those games. Um, there are many, many uh, virtual agents that exist around utilities, telcos, banks, et cetera, where Watson is actually the thing behind um, th those branded those branded agents that are matching to the brand of, of those particular companies. In fact, we are at a point that just with Watson Assistant today through that, there are um, over 80 million conversing users, end users, um, a month. So that's a lot of touches. But like you say, people don't necessarily realize that it's Watson um, behind the scenes. So one of the things that we have to do is help bring those stories out and help people understand what it's about. I, I will go back to part of my beginning of this answer as well. Um, people, clients really value the point we've made about protecting their data and and recognizing that their data is their asset and that they don't want their data mixed in with or exposed with other of their competitors or other companies or third parties data. And so that's another thing that they really appreciate as we help them understand what we can bring to bear is that they can get quick um, 
quick value, quick return from their investment, um, have, you know, quick projects, but in doing so, they're also basing it on what's their asset and it's protecting that asset. It's not allowing others to take advantage of that and to grow uh, based on what they might have. You know, I was going to ask this question later, but I'm going to ask it now. Uh, and that is because you mentioned the data and protecting data. One thing I've prided uh, myself or IBM on is that, you know, look, we're not out for your data. We've consciously made a ethical even decision that, look, your data is your data. We're just help you to, we're, we're here to help you get insights. I don't know that that is pervasive across the industry, unfortunately, though. Uh, everybody's trying to get at data because obviously the more data you have, the better decisions you can make. And maybe not all of it's malicious because, you know, you just, you know, it, it's kind of like DNA. If everybody puts their DNA in a pool, we could probably make some pretty damn good decisions. However, that's kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an evasion of privacy at the same, same time. So I guess what I'm trying to say, Beth, is one concern I have people, some people are out there are worried about the Terminator. I'm not concerned about that, like at all. Uh, but one concern that I do have is the access that the industry is going after data and how different countries have different, um, you know, policy rights, et cetera. And I think that's going to be, and the ethics around it, I think that's the kind of the dilemma of our time right now. Well, what do you think? So uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in that question. So, um, <laughs> so let me start with one kind of, uh, simple example. So, um, if you think about it, I'm sure, you know, you and I both and many of the listeners here, um, when they're searching in the public domain for things, they will Google. And when you Google something and then I come behind you, even if I'm Googling something different, I benefit from what you did. And we, we do that and we're okay doing that because of the value that we get from that. And, you know, that's a, that's a positive. And so that's an, that's a very oversimplified example of, you know, your data. So your, what you searched for, you know, being mixed in to help me. Now, contrast that with you're a company and your customers are interacting with you. And you want, you do not want the next company, which could very well be your competitor, to be able to deliver a better customer experience to their customers and potentially your customers because they leverage something that your customers did with you. So it, it just puts it in a different frame. And I think, you know, that's what clients realize. They they know that that interaction is important. You can take it into a lot of other examples when there's a lot of business documents that are not available to be able to be searched the same way and how do you get benefit of accessing those, etc. So that would be just kind of one point to your question. The other point that I would, I would offer up is, um, you know, I'm asked a lot to talk about ethics of AI. And I go back to our principles. IBM published principles several years ago now that are called principles of trust and transparency. And it's three things. And it's one that AI will be used to augment humans. This is, it is used to help human professionals, et cetera, do what they're trying to do. Second one is the data and the insights from that are 
yours um, and that we will be transparent about that. And then the third one is that AI systems need to be transparent and explainable. So that gets into, do you know what's happening in that black box? Do you have lineage from the model that's running the decision that was made, what version of model, what version of, of training data was used, et cetera. Do you understand if it's becoming biased or is biased? Um, can you explain what the features were that caused the model to give the answer it gave? Can you also explain what would be the least thing that would have to change in order for that model to have given a different answer? Those are all things that bring to life this point of AI systems need to be transparent and explainable. So augment humans, data and insights are yours, and um, AI systems need to be transparent and explainable. Those are our principles. Therefore, those principles are what guide us as we are creating our offerings, as we're adding tools to help customers be able to get the benefit from this. But as a part of that, we also think it's important for us to help uh, governments and groups around the world better appreciate what the technology can do, how to have um, where, where there may be the need for precision regulation and that sort of thing. So if I just give you an example in, I think it was April of this year, the EU published a set of guidelines around AI. And our uh, research team had people helping advise them on that. Um, that's, a, that's a part of what we believe is a part of our corporate responsibility. But we also think that that's a way that then you know, folks can become a lot more knowledgeable about these technology and then guide themselves to what the right uh, way of guiding their, the use of it should be. There was also, we also published something uh, earlier this week on this, this point of view around precision regulation and the fact that you really want to, you want, you, you know, you don't want to put forth a regulation that that wipes out all the ability to innovate and get the value from innovation. You want to focus regulations around things that would be bad and harmful while not stifling the innovation otherwise. So I would say all those things kind of come to my mind when you ask that question. You know, it does go back to uh, the data and why why you really don't want your data to be mixed with others. It's, it's about, you know, some real principles. In fact, as we published our principles, we've been clear. We encourage others to adopt ours. We feel like they really help us all do a better job with bringing this technology to bear. Um, it is about, you know, then helping agencies understand and be able to you know, focus those guidelines. And we think that that really wraps up to a point of view that is about precision regulation that is grounded in understanding the, the capability and the use cases. Wow. That, that, actually, that's a fantastic answer. Nicely, nicely done, Beth. And if I could restate just a little bit, here's what I heard from you. In terms of our principles, it's augmented intelligence versus really artificial intelligence. It's data is yours. AI systems that are transparent and, and explainable, which to me means explainable, fair, accurate, open. 
Um, the interesting thing, I mean, so that's, I, that's why, I, I, again, I'm very proud of IBM in this, this endeavor. Boy, I'm worried about the larger, <laughs> the, the larger world in many cases. And I think the interesting thing is the humanities are, are becoming more and more important. Imagine if you're going to have an autonomous car that's going to have to make a decision that's life or death, death, and it's doing it based on statistics. Do I swerve in this direction or swerve in this direction based on uh, how many people I may hurt or something? Uh, that, that's, that's, that's going to get interesting. The other thing is, um, I personally like the term augmented intelligence and I don't think it gets enough, uh, focus. I think a lot of people look at Watson and just want to, you know, predict the outcome and either determine whether it's right or wrong, but the value is really in re reinforcing some of these decisions, given additional insight that you've never seen before and augmenting decisions that, that we, that experts make. One last, one last one. And then I, and then I got a few uh, questions just to get to know Beth Smith. This will be fun. <laughs> um, the the last question I have is: If we had this conversation three years from now, three years in the future, what do you think? What do you think is going to be different, or what do you where do you think we'll be at? Um, well, I I don't think we'll be at that five percent deployment, uh, widespread deployment. I think there'll be definitely double digits on that. Um, and and I in in all seriousness, I think it'll be significantly more because that's the way we're going to see it, um, come about. I think therefore we will have moved from experimentation to real scale. Uh, employee superpowers and those digital workers will become just second nature. It'll become much more uh, common as a part of it. And I think we will see more and more uh, points of automation and optimization in the business processes, business workflows that we all operate within every day that will also open up new innovations for us um, in our businesses. I would say stay tuned because, you know, there's a, there's a lot of possibility. There's a lot of work being proven out now that helps open up that up. And I do think people are, are ready to take advantage of this. You're a natural at this, Beth. You know this? <laughs> Very nice. All right. So look, I, I've got to go through the, the, the listeners always like it when I finish a little bit of get to know Beth Smith. So you got to be vulnerable here. I'll, I'll do some, uh, just some quick hits. Uh, of questions I have for you. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> no, they're, they're easy, particularly to start. Hey, look, first one is around women in technology. I've got three daughters of my own. And uh, unfortunately, I, none of them are in tech. Uh, now, they, they, they're pharmacy, law, and uh, audiology. So, so not bad. So they're doing okay. Yeah, That's they're doing right. all right. They're doing all right. But my question for you is, what is your advice for women that are considering getting into tech today? Oh boy. So, um, you know, I, I love it. I always have. Um, if you do then, um, embrace it. Um, but bring your true self to it. Um, it is not about, I guess, you know, on this topic, I would tell you when I started 32 years ago, it was about, um, it's a, it's a man's world. It's a man's, um, profession. And so it was about, um, sort of trying to mimic how you think, um, men would think or communicate or that sort of thing. And that's not true anymore. And I think we all value differences. Um, and they're not just, they're not just 
ethnicity and, and gender, and but there's other kinds of differences that we've all learned to value. So um, go for it and embrace who your your authentic self is, um, and be just a continuous learner. Because one of the things with technology is things are changing about it every day, um, and that. I think is a part of what makes it exciting and challenging, but it's an important thing to stay uh, connected with as well. Well said. We don't need any more. Speaking from a guy, we still don't need any more male thinkers. We're good. (laughs) What are you most proud of outside of your family? Outside of my family? What do you mean by that? I mean, it can't be your family because it can be your family. Because what will happen is is everybody says their family, which I understand, (laughs) but I'm trying to get like a little different view. Okay, let me see. Wow, that's a hard question. Um, I'm I'm proud of. Well, actually, the thing I'm the most proud of is the impact I have had on future leaders. Those some of those future leaders are leaders today, so I don't mean future from here. But um, the thing that I would say I'm the most proud of is how I've been able to. Um, offer experiences and reflection uh, to help really kind of grow people and give them new opportunities. And, you know, it's a proud moment when I see them doing doing great, interesting things. I got a, a text message yesterday from somebody that I wish still worked with us, but um, has gone to do a different uh, challenge. And it was just so rewarding to hear the accomplishment that he had had made in just a short amount of time. So um, I would say that would be, you know, the thing that I'm the most proud of. Nice. All right. So you walk out of your office right now. There's $10 million there right for you. You can keep it. What are you going to do with it? Oh, my gosh. Uh, well, my husband would have a long list for it. I can tell you that. <laughs> Um, so, so I'd have to figure out how to, how to do that. What would I do with it? I have, um, you know, my, so everybody can probably tell that while I live in New York, I don't sound like New York. Um, you know, I have a, a small family now, only my dad is, is still around at this point. And, um, I have a lot of roots back in North Carolina and I would probably do something there, to help be able to enjoy family and friends a lot more. And I would also uh, look to how I could help um, some of my extended family or extended friends that I think could really uh, benefit. Good answer. Who's your number one role model today? Oh, I can't answer that. I have too many. They're, they're, um, <laughs> because they, and seriously, they, they are different. They're different forms. They take on different, uh, you know, it's kind of like it, it, my number one would be a collage that was made up of multiple people. Um, actually that reminds me of a story. So I was reading a, a book. I'm not going to remember the exact name of it, so that's horrible, but um, it's something like Bedtime Stories for Managers or something like that, and I'm not through it yet, but one of the early stories I've read is it talks about um, we should think of our team and our organization like a cow instead of 
a hierarchical org chart. And the point it's trying to make is, you know, whenever we see like in a butcher shop or whatever, the parts of a cow, they're not, it's not in a hierarchy. They, you know, and they all have a purpose and they fit together and they move together, et cetera. And so I would tell you when I think of role models, I probably have, maybe my answer should be a cow because I have different things from different people that I use as role models. What, all right. So a couple more questions. I'm almost done. What, what are you, what are you working towards? I mean, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Oh my God. Yeah. Can't be AI all the time. No, now. it's Can't not. It's not. Um, well, some people say I do nothing for fun, that I'm not fun. But no, um, seriously, <laughs> um, so so a couple of things. So I, um, when I get a chance, I don't do it often, but I have for many years, actually, since I was um, in grade school, I've done a fair amount of different kinds of handwork. And so I'll do that. It's a way for me to... Uh, relax and and think about different things. I'm also very much a puzzle person. Um, and so I could get, I don't do this very often, but I could get lost in a puzzle um, and spend a lot of time on that. And then the other thing I would tell you is um, I have, uh, I'm fortunate, we're fortunate to have a, a lake house. And so I would say the other thing is when the weather's right, um, then the best thing would be, uh, boat ride on the lake nice all right i like it so i got one more i, I was gonna have a little game of would you rather but i'm gonna be respectful of your time but i gotta ask one question on the would you rather would you rather beat north carolina tar heels or would you rather beat duke oh duke oh really <laughs> well, why is that you gotta you gotta ex- expand on that just a little well at the core now not to say that we don't want to beat Carolina. Of course, we want we want to beat Carolina. But um, at the core of it, uh, NC State. So the reason that I would answer that question, I went to NC State, right? NC State and and UNC are big rivals, but they're both North Carolina. They're both uh, born and bred North Carolina. Uh, Duke has a lot of North Carolinians, but has an awful lot of people that have come from elsewhere. And so I would say there's a there's a little bit of a different kind of robbery there. So I would lean more towards beating Duke. Interesting. To you know. thought hey, I was going to say Carolina because everybody I says did, anybody but Carolina. Yeah, yeah, I know. But <laughs> probably over the years I've mellowed and I've learned to appreciate my Tar Heel um, co- colleagues a lot more and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. All right, very good. Hey, where can people find more about you or what you're working on? Uh, so certainly on uh, Twitter, uh, it's Beth T. Smith, and on LinkedIn, and you end up um, occasionally, you know, you'll you'll find me on some other things. So if you do a back to Google, do a Google search, you just have to put IBM in it because Beth Smith is kind of a common name. Um, <laughs> All right, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, Beth, thank you so much for being here. Uh, you gave a ton of great information. Uh, you can tell you do this very often because uh, you had great insight. We could go on forever. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Al. Enjoyed it. And folks, as always, thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, your listening, obviously, is what makes this podcast fun. If you have any suggested guests, again, please reach out to almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Until next time, I'll see you on the podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. 
sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out. <laughs>